Jerry, I kind of dismissed you last week. Put my hands up now. I'm, I'm not saying I'm infallible the way Owen used to say it. Apology accepted. And I was like, there's no fear here. No. Teams don't fear Dublin anymore. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB's The Hurling Pod with James Skell and Paul Murphy. People of Galway, we love you! I don't want to leave the people of Warford down, you know, because they're my life, you know. People of Warford are my life, you know, and I, 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 love, I, love, I love my county, you know. We love Jumbaland! It's almost like they're afraid to kind of mm. go and hurl and yeah. just let themselves express themselves. They're, it's like as if they're nearly afraid to make a mistake and sometimes you have to make a mistake and just throw off that bit of nervousness and have a go. Yeah, it's pure constipated hurling. Welcome along to episode five of season two of The Hurling Pod with Paul Murphy and James Skell. Lads, how are you getting on? How are you going, lads? Great, how are things? I'm going to be honest, Skell. I have a little bit of envy of football at the moment because I was covering the football games mm-hmm. at the weekend. And my first thought was, well, hurling is off on this break at the moment. We're waiting for two weeks now where teams are on the verge of already qualifying for semi-finals, and we have a fair idea of how the relegation is going to go in the top flight of Division 1 of the Hurling League. The football is up in the air and loads of teams can qualify for finals and relegation is up in the air and there's real stakes about everything at the moment because it's going to determine the second division. I'm going to be deadly honest and say I am a little bit jealous of what football is serving up at the moment. Yeah. No, with respect, this is probably the highlight of the football year as well. <laughs> you know, that's the league for them. Because I, or just, I was just, we're talking obviously a while ago about, um, you know, the hierarchy of some teams. Obviously, there's, there's probably eight or nine teams that are vying for that Ireland in football every year and that didn't mean that the, the vast majority of teams with respect probably treat the league as probably their most important you know competition you could say because their chances of winning Ireland are, are slimmer to be honest um, in the Hurlands it's kind of a different story um, I suppose we're we're crying for more games we're crying for more inclusion we're crying for more exposure and then they put on another break you know and I guess it's, it's a tricky one with the leagues because I know we're going to touch on this every week until the league is over we're going to keep at it and harping about it. What do you do to kind of fix hurling? You know, do you bring in relegation? Do you keep going to the current structure? But something's going to change, and it has to change to bring in more competitive, uh, comp- uh, more competitive type games in hurling because I think people are people are starving. To be honest, yeah, it's a tricky one, Paul. I mean, we chat about this at the start of the league, and it's kind of played out this way, where every team is probably now looking at this, going, do you know what? Just a few weeks away from championship. The third week of April is there in the calendar, ready to go. Everyone wants to be at kind of peak condition for those important games in the provincial championship, which is around Robin and is a little bit of a slog. So it's understandable that they're probably letting off the pace a little bit at this time of the year anyway. Yeah, and we can see it already with a few teams who, you know, in my mind, are probably going to take the foot off the gas a small bit. Um, you know, particularly the likes of Wexford with the, with the heavy injury list. Like, But you can see teams at this stage... You know, they've blooded a few players. They do have championship coming up. Um, you know, the league hasn't really lifted off yet, but even a few teams at this stage will be kind of looking to go, okay, maybe we're going to pull it back now because we've picked up a few injuries or, you know, there's lots of reasons there as to why teams might do that. But it doesn't look like this league might yeah, spark yet. And we did forecast well before it that the fact of the league finals being so close to the championship would be um, an issue. And even before we get to that, we're kind of looking at potentially it mightn't take off at all because the general setup at the moment means that teams can't really go hammer and tongs at it. Or maybe the situation isn't that it creates an environment where teams just will go hammer and tongs each week and we see the best teams on the pitch each week. Yeah, I wonder as well, Skell, how much are teams looking at last year and going, 
Cork and Waterford both looked really good, say, coming out with the semi-finals particularly, because Cork had beaten Kilkenny and Waterford looked great against Wexford and Waterford again looked excellent against Cork in the final. That there's that kind of warning that you don't want to be in that position last year where both those teams looked off at once the championship got underway. And they did, I think as well, what teams do is they'll always look at number one, who won their Ireland last year, that's Limerick. And what do they do? Like, you're not trying to copy them, but you're trying to match them kind of the way they're they're probably preparing to a certain degree. And they, they treat the league like it was probably a whole host of challenge games with respect to the game. You know, obviously, they, they had their team holiday. They came back late. Probably didn't do as much training as other, other counties. And it didn't matter damn because they went on to win the Ireland um, in, in kind of emphatic fashion. So I think that's one way of looking at it. The other way then, if you're Cork and Waterford, you're, you're rolling into the league. You, you feel really good. Confidence. I don't know, did a little bit of... I hate to use the word complacency set in, but they just went south. <laughs> they just went south after after what was a really, really impressive showing. And I always think back like how, how we were fooled nearly to a certain degree when after Water won the league, we were touting them. I think we all were. I think collectively the three of us were saying they're second, aren't you, Limerick? And a very close mm-hmm. second. Then coming up to the game in um, the Gaelic Grounds, the championship game, Waterford put up a really good test against Limerick. And we're saying, geez, they're, they're, on, they're on course here. And they just fell asunder. So... I don't know how three teams... Every team is different, I think. Um, like, if I'm looking at my own county, I'm saying that Henry's looking for more players. He's looking for more quality, seeing what he has in front of him because he's trying to, I suppose, educate himself on who, who he has and treat the league that way. I think Limerick are just trying to get through it. Uh, again, blood a few players, which they've been doing nicely and keep a bit of momentum until they get their bigger players back, like Jim Burns, etc., and, uh, and kind of integrate them into a, into a full run. So, yeah... I just think public opinion at the moment is like that there's a general consensus out there that the league is, it's not really, it's obviously it's a national tournament and it's a nationally recognised tournament, but it hasn't got the same importance it has of years previous. Um, I think that's totally down to Limerick just cakewalking everyone in the championship the last couple of years, to be honest. Murph, what Limerick have done this time round, warm weather training camp, which I think was the plan in 2020 and then COVID kicked in and messed up the calendar. But John Kiley was going to year, use a warm weather training camp that year as kind of his jumping off point for getting ready for a championship. Uh, this time around, the conditions have worked for them to be able to do so. Uh, in the years that you played under Brian Cody, did Kilkenny ever go out abroad on a warm weather training camp? No, no. Maybe a sunny day in Carton House or Photo Island was uh, what we managed. But no, like I don't think anyone was complaining. I think these warm weather camps, trying to think of who in my time was the first county that did it. Um, it was a tip, yeah. Like I, they, they, they certainly weren't common. Anyway, they're common now. Kind of, you know, you hear a lot of teams doing it now, particularly I suppose more so in football. But um, no, they weren't. They weren't common, and we were happy to go up to Carton House and go to Photo Island because you got the same work done. But certainly, yeah. I would have. I wouldn't have turned away. You know, a week in Tenerife or wherever these lads go. But uh, no, it was never even. Uh, it was never even put to us by Brian if you want to go on a, on a warm weather training camp. Scale, did you ever get to go abroad? <laughs> just stop, will you? <laughs> to the warm weather training camp. Sure, anywhere I would say the Galway is warm for you. Anyway, uh, we were up to our knees in debt after the <laughs> situation. So, no, I, no, we didn't. I'll tell you, all we did was we got to go away to the warmest place we went to was Australia. We went to Sydney to play that, that the Wild Geese Trophy in 2018 versus the Kikini. So that wasn't quite a training camp though. Although our management team at the time would have liked for us to do a bit more training and stay indoors more or outdoors. But uh, yeah, that one got away from us as well. But. I'll tell you what my abiding memory of your trip over for the Wild Geese was. I was actually at a wedding in Sydney that week when the Wild Geese was on, right? So I was waiting for a haircut the day before my mate's wedding. And I was having a quick flick through the Sydney Morning Herald's uh, sport to see what they were actually covering, right? And there was a paragraph about the wild geese inside the Sydney Morning Herald because I think there was a photo shoot in front of the Opera House, which may well have taken place the day before. And he actually were there before the Australian rugby team 
in terms of importance within the paper. Like people probably have this idea that, you know, like Australia are always very competitive in rugby, that rugby union must be massive in sports coverage in Australia. It's really not. Like Melbourne's soccer team was getting more coverage than the Australia rugby team who were up in the Northern Hemisphere playing matches at the time. So um, you can say, Scale, that your team in the Wild Geese tournament (laughs) actually got more coverage than the Australian rugby team uh, who were up in the Northern Hemisphere at the time. I have to admit, Dan, well, I don't don't quite think we give it the same respect in terms of our preparation <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you and like Michal uh, we, we've come to know him for a long time now that he's quite competitive by nature and uh, he would have said to us on, on arrival in Sydney like look, look, because it's Brian Cody and Kenny, we want to beat these lads you know because we're going to meet them again etc we want to beat them and let's just say we didn't listen to his words early and we went into a public house and stayed, <laughs> not, stayed an awful lot longer than we should have right so anyways the match comes along we're all hairy <laughs> every one of us and Half time, Kinney are baiting the shit of us. And it's a funny story. Uh, Adrian, too, his young son was in the restroom. And Michal is going off on us, like, you know, calling us this and that. And you're fucking this and fucking this. And actually, it was like, everyone was like, oh shit, like he's actually cracked. And we're all kind of like the principal's students, kind of just afraid of him. And next thing he stops and does, you could hear a pin drop. And Adrian, too, his young man just goes, Michal, fuck is a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole place just started laughing <laughs> and we won after I think it was a free I watched the penalty shoot I was a freeze oh, yeah. so yeah it was a great trip though yeah. it was a great trip I do love that Mial was keeping um, standards up as well I suppose you've been to two All-Ireland finals in those years uh, leading yeah. into that tour and would have been an All-Ireland final not long before he would have set out to Sydney as well so obviously he did not believe in taking it easy or being hairy I'm guessing Mihal was not out in the public house with you and uh, no, no he called a meeting in the morning I'll tell you straight out he called a meeting in the morning after it was I think off memory it could have been a meeting was at 10 o'clock or half 10 in the morning and when we walked into the meeting room we're missing a lot of lads. <laughs> and next thing, two lads, one lad, actually a really good friend of mine, walked in, same clothes as last night. He was coming back from the casino. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> when he walked in, the management just looked at him like, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> flying all the way to Sydney. And in comes this lad after, you know, how many hours out? But yeah, he just, uh, but look, at the end of the day, the results, we, we won the very thing, as the lad says, right? And we're just wait, actually waiting for it to, to get called back again now. When are we going back, Murph? <laughs> I said, I know. I How'd know. you miss the trip, Murph? You weren't there. Yeah, I, I was on a course in the army at the time and I just couldn't I couldn't get off. I was on on this course for a year. So, uh, yeah, just that, oh, what was it, like 10 days, two weeks? I think it was about 10 days, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I just I just couldn't get in there. I missed a few of those trips, so um, one or two of them, yeah. Jesus, it's a long way away. Yeah. Before the plane even hit the ground in Sydney, I said, I'm never coming back here again. Because I'm, I'm too big for the planes, like. You know what I mean? And there was a crying child beside me the whole fucking way from, I don't know, where was it, Abu Dhabi, or we flew out of. Mm. I said, I'll never come back to Australia again. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, on the same, it wouldn't be the same flight as you, because you must have been there a couple of days before we arrived. But um, the flight in Dublin, for some reason, something to do with the runway, we ended up missing our connector in Abu Dhabi. And we had to go on a double packed plane from Abu Dhabi to Sydney on the other end. So it was like oh. everyone literally on top of each other for whatever the 12 or 13 hours. So oh. I'm, I'm a bit like you. Like I got there, I slept for about a day after I arrived because of the jet lag as well. But I was like, I'm going to have to seriously consider maybe forking out for some business class or becoming a politician and getting a business class trip if I ever go back to Sydney again but there you go around Paddy's day yeah (laughs) but that's the key a wonderful trip and you can uh, put the feet out if you're a politician Um, Murph were those um, training camps albeit if they were in Photo Island or in Carton were they actually beneficial because I was reading Kylie talking about this and he was saying like how important it was going to be for Limerick he was pointing out that maybe the most important thing was they could do a session in the morning 
allow the guys to go for a sleep or do some stats work or whatever in the afternoon, keep an eye on their recovery and then do a session in the evening. He was just saying these were things that just aren't possible when lads have got a nine to five and you're trying to work around that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and he described it really well there. It was really just a time that you could dedicate to uh, having a bit of concentrated time together, do some really good work. And I know, you know, some people outside the group or outside, let's say, inter-county teams mightn't really see the huge value of that analysis and video analysis and sitting down as a team. You know, they mightn't see the, the, the real beneficial value that brings. But, you know, lots of teams will go, let's say, have a Friday morning to Carton House or Photo Island, wherever they're going to go. And, they might do a session that morning with an aim to doing a really good session on the Saturday, for example, like basically playing a game and setting up whatever structures you want to set up in an environment where nobody's going to be looking at you. So on the on the Friday, you might go do a bit of a session, a lot of skill work, maybe a bit of running. Um, and then lads can, you know, go to do physios, lads can go to a pool, lads can do whatever. And it's time to relax and it's also time to get the body right. You might do a bit of analysis then in the afternoon and a barbecue that evening, something. It's just, it's nice for lads to, like that, step out of the office, step out of the workplace, wherever it is, the farm you're on or whatever it is, and just focus on hurling. Um, with the view to the following morning, then, you know, you're going to get up, have the breakfast and then go down and just go as hard as you possibly can. And usually enough, okay, with, with the Limerick lads going away this week, I mean, you know, we're not, we don't have championship in sight yet, but let's say at the start of our term or my term at Kenny, you had breaks between games where those days you'd go away would be two weeks out from a match. So it was nearly kind of a thing as well. There was a switch inside your brain that anytime you're going on these, you know, it was championship was was starting two weeks later or all Ireland semi-final or all Ireland final. So it was always a thing that was kind of resetting the brain going, you know, okay, the year might be kind of fixtures here and there and matches all over the place. But when you knew, when you, knew you were in Carrington House or, or Fort Island, you were like, okay, the brain needs to switch on here now because we're so close to championship or we're so close to a really important match that you have to make this time really count. So, um, look, it's great. You get really good work done and, and lads shouldn't, you know, I suppose the, the neutral person or even a supporter shouldn't may, maybe be cynical about these things. I know lads are going away for a sunny week, but it the, the, the importance is, is that you take the player out of the environment so that they have nothing else to focus on, only the, the job at hand. And that, if you really support your team, is a really important thing for teams to get done. And some of the best work we did was away on those camps. Mm. Scale, I know you said you didn't go abroad, but I'm assuming <coughs> Galway had camps along the way. Are you in a similar boat that these were beneficial to get together for Yeah, a few well, we, we would have had plenty of camps in, in kind of the same venues. There's only a certain amount of venues in the country you can go to. So Fort Island would have been a go-to one, Carton House, Johnson House and the like. And I just always found it was kind of, especially for people who are working, you know, Professionally, students are a different story, but you have it's just the time together. It's the time together, even just to have a chat. Ask because every time you're going training, you're coming from somewhere. Every time you're leaving training, you have to go somewhere. So you don't get quite that amount of time to just to converse, to to to, to bond is the word I suppose you can use. And um, every time you go training, it's always intense. It's professional. It's like business like. It's in out. Where on the camps, at least, then you've got a bit of time together. Then you mix in a couple of little activities, and it's amazing the camaraderie that gets built out of that and the competitiveness of, of, of players as well. So, like, everything that Murph said, I fully agree with it. I agree with it all. Uh, even something as small as having a quiz or having, you know, yeah. there was, we had, I think one year we did a game of charades. It was hilarious. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it just gets the room laughing. It gets the room together. Um, I won't quite say it creates memories, but it creates a, a really good atmosphere, a good kind of ambience for the whole group. And it sets you up. And Murph is right. The, the, the couple of days, we arrive probably Friday, Saturday, and then on the Sunday, you know there's a 15 inside match coming. So Friday and Saturday is grand. You're prepping, you're training hard, you're having the crack, but you do know all the matches come on Sunday. And usually, 
that, ma- that match or in-house match you'd have, there'd be hair and skin flying because they have legs pumped because obviously he's had the best preparation possible. He's had time to relax. There's no, you'd, you'd hope there's no stress in his mind and it's just 30, 35 lads going at it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of them. Um, mm. The warm weather ones, like I, I just like to take, I suppose, as much uncontrollables out of the situation as possible. So I'm not sure, warm weather, going away, flights, ugh, all that kind of jazz. I'm not sure about that. That's why Fort Highland was, was fabulous. Because you just go down the road, you've got a super facility and away you go. And as, as Murph alluded to earlier, Anywhere but Galway, the weather's better. Better. Yeah. So, so Cork is, is usually good. Galway's and to, always. And to be away. fair as well, like you know, you go to like Cork and you could have a gale force wind blowing down the, the pitch in in Fort Wild and it could be raining, and that could be the case. You're getting in an All Ireland semi final as well. So in very not say very rarely, but if you go to all weather or a warm weather camp, it's going to be warm weather and grand. Most lads will hurl really well in warm weather. But it was the days where you went out and the pitch was a bit greasy down in Fort Wild or Carton House or Johnson or wherever you were. And like that's as practical as, as anything else because yeah. you know you could be getting that on the day and trying to deal with that was as much a challenge as dealing with it in thirty degrees heat. But I think most players will if it's a sunny day, you know that's what players want. So a greasy ball and a wet day, and if you got that in a training camp, you know that was again another positive because you could be dealing with that in the day. The other way of looking at it, Murph, is to do what Cork did because I was looking at the reports in the Irish Examiner on uh, Sunday <coughs> where they had uh, league games in Cork over the last couple of weekends and their frontline players were released back to play for their club in the Hurling League. Like, I could kind of understand maybe where there's the logic around that back when April was at least in theory a club month and there was meant to be a few games and maybe early championship and some. But in a way, is there much benefit to send the lads back to the club for one week and then back into an inter-county setup again? Look, I suppose if the club setup is a case of that Cork looked at it and said, this is a good window to get a game out of the way. Otherwise, we have a very compact club fixture uh, timeline at the other end of the year. I do see that as being a positive that they alleviate the pressure from that end of the year. Um, I wouldn't be very familiar now, to be honest, with with their fixture list. So that may be the way they're looking at it. Um, like the club aren't going to benefit enormously from, okay, they'll obviously benefit from having Connerly Han or whoever back with them, but they're not going to get a huge amount of work done in that time that they'll carry forward towards their actual club campaign. Um, but again, you know, the other, the other side of it could be said is that, you know, using this week now for a training camp, it, it's nice to get away, but if Cork went away, you know, is it a bit too far away from championship for, for them to have any real benefit? You, they could possibly have used it as, you know, we've done really well so far. What have we done well? What have we maybe can we improve on? Absolutely. But I just see it at, at this stage with the way the inter-county um, calendar is set up at the moment, I wouldn't begrudge a county if they decided to go a club or if they decided to go on a training camp. And I don't think they're missing out if they don't go on a training camp because, like I was saying, I mean, it's 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 so far away at the moment. It's not as if they're they're completely dialed in on championship just yet. So maybe, like I was saying at the start, maybe it just alleviated the the bit of a problem of a fixture list that that Cork may have towards the club club end of the year. Well, Scott, I know you love stats. So this was around the Liam Sheedy interview, which was in some of the newspapers last week, ahead of his appearance on Lyrica Gale on Thursday, and they were asking Liam Sheedy about the idea of potentially changing from three points to four points being awarded for a goal. And they looked at the uh, goals that we've seen so far, and particularly they looked at the last week of the league that we were talking about last week. So aside from Clare's goal rush against Wexford, where there were seven goals in that game, you had five other games played in Division 1, just the six goals, so an average of 1.2 per game. And they look back at the last few years in championships. So in 2019, uh, Limerick have gone 40 points since then, but Cork became the first team in championship to score 40 points when they played against Westmead in the preliminary quarterfinal. 
goals becoming less and less frequent. So in 2021, it went back up to 3.5. It was 2.4 in 2020. And then 2022, it went back to 2.9 per game last year. Uh, Liam Sheehy said he's open to the idea of changing it because like, it's been over 100 years since it went from two points to three. But he was saying maybe a bit more thought has to be there before going to four points. Is there an argument for adding an extra incentive for goals, particularly with a lot of the top teams uh, who are happy enough to puck it over from any distance rather than playing it inside now? Yeah, I I struggle to see why there's an argument. Like if we had very, very low scores and we're trying to entice goals, maybe, but we've got an abundance of scores. And granted, there there'll always be something wrong, do you know what I mean, <laughs> in Irish sports. Someone's always going to have an issue. So if you're scoring too much, there's an issue because the ball is too light. The, the players are too strong, etc. Changing to four pints in the goal... Part of me, look, I'm, I'm, I'm all for change at times. I, I'm, I, I am by no means a traditionalist, but in this instance, I kind of like the goal to stay at three points. You know what I mean? I'd like to see if there are any other workaround that we can probably entice players to stay in full forward line somehow. I, I'm not, you know, like what sport is that now where they keep the full forward, they keep players in certain halves, certain quarters. Is there, help me out here, lads. Isn't there a sport where they keep players? Is it, is it AFL where they keep you within a zone near the goals? You can't pass it. I think you might be right. I think you can't withdraw players into your own half. And similarly, in in basketball, you have to have a player in the other half of the court, don't you? Yeah, I'll have to research that one. But like, maybe if if you had more bodies towards the goals, see what you have now is the game is so expansive and there's so much space being created inside. Let's say that goals aren't exactly very apparent, and obviously we have the shot statistics to prove it. Um, but I'd be more towards aiming it at personnel as opposed to aiming it at the score if you know what I mean so if you, if you can keep personnel in an area I don't know how that is I'm just throwing it out there keep them inside the full forward line keep them inside their 30 yard line or whatever 3 full back line 3 half back line 3, three full back line 3 full forward line you, you then, I think you'd get more goals you know um, but I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with Liam Sheedy in this one Alright uh, Murph what do you think I mean as a defender you're probably going to say keep it at 3 but go on Yeah like uh, <laughs> I suppose we actually had this conversation a few years ago with uh like Skeller, did you play the Super 11s in, in, in America? Yeah. They won? So they basically, they had to have it. That Super 11s was basically try to play a game of hurling on an, an American football pitch because that's all you're going to be able to brand it to Americans as. You're not going to get a hurling size pitch. So, you know, it was obviously scaled back and there were different rules. But one of the things I was kind of suggesting then is that if you want to encourage that's going for goals was that if they score a goal, the resultant puck out, for example, has to go long. Let's say you know that that it's in the it's in the opposition team benefit that if you score a goal, well, most likely you're going to win the ball back from the resultant puck out. So if it's a thing of encouraging a bit more free flow and play, if you know you're going to get a goal, what does that do? What does that affect your team? You know the ball is going to come long. You maybe sit back now. A high ball is going to come down. It's going to have to be contested. So maybe allows for a bit more open play. Like you could get a hammer and hurl him very easy by one or two or three goals going in, and suddenly you're on the back foot. If that turns into four, now I, I think it's a, it, it's a good idea from Sheedy. It's creative. It's you know it's also an open mind that we can change the parameters around hurling. But I think if you put it up to four, you know, the likes of Limerick, okay, they might be going for goals now, but they could absolutely trounce teams. If, <laughs> you know, if they score three goals, that's the equivalent of scoring four goals in the current climate at the moment, you know. Mm. So I think pushing that out a small bit more could be more detrimental than we actually think. You know, yeah. I'd be similar enough to people arguing about making the ball heavier. I don't think they get the end result that they actually want, you know, because... 
let's say people were saying with the ball getting heavier, for example, if you make it heavier, they somehow insinuated that that was going to result in players striking the ball and not making the goal. So then you're going to have people competing 50-50. Well, no, like the, the name of the game at the moment is possession. So even making the ball heavier, players want to hold on for possession. And if Anton hold on to it even longer, because then they have to carry it further up the pitch. So I, I, what I'd be thinking in these situations is that like the likes of making a line ball two points, I think that's a simpler kind of solution to encourage scoring. That was in before Murph Trimber. That was in that was in the league because I remember Jer Farrell yeah, was, the, was the first man to do it. He was my, cutting points over from everywhere. Sure. My question to yeah. you was was why do you think that was actually taken away or not 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 even introduced in the championship? What's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, because sidelines aren't like they're not everyday plays. Like, they, they, you, you might get a couple in the game. Don't get me wrong. So yeah. you're not going to clip teams by changing the goals. So you're from three to four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wouldn't agree with that either. I just yeah. I, like I was saying. I just think it'd be. Like, because hurling, like, if you talk to a lad in football and they say, you know, geez, we're hammered today, they're wet by six or seven points in football. You know, hammering and hurling is 12 or 14 points, which can very easily happen to any team on a given day. But I think if you make the goals that bit bigger, right, might encourage that's going for goals, but like the likes of Limerick or these yeah. could absolutely trounce teams. Like, Do you remember, Murph, in the Super 11s, am I correct in saying there was a rule for a goal was worth more if it was done on a volley or out, not being caught? Do you remember that? Yeah, there was one where, like, if you scored a goal from outside the box, because they had a box on the pitch, yeah, it was, like, three points. But if you scored it inside a certain zone, it was only two points. Different things. So, we're trying to encourage us to take longer shots at goal. But the goals were were bigger as well. For soccer goals, oh, they were torture. Jeez, you'd be diving on the base. (laughs) You were enormous. Huge. Uh, we, We actually had a great one with that, because... The super obviously right. So the rules were laid out, but there were obviously brand new rules for for an American football pitch. And 2013, we played that game. It was Leinster versus Munster. I think you were you playing it as well. I was with Leinster yeah. versus Munster. Yeah, remember that actually. I don't know if you were on the goal that day, but in the All Ireland final, Clare versus Cork, we played in between the minor final. I think, we did. And the actual, yeah, we did. Martin Fogarty was over us. And Martin Fogarty is cute out. If he copped something in the rule book, he'd tell nobody and then he'd just go implement it just before the game starts. So the rule was, was that you couldn't score unless you were inside the opposition box. That was it. So you can't score outside the opposition box. So they wanted this free flow and play and moving around and all this stuff. And right before I went out, it was myself, Jackie and JJ were the full back line. And Martin came over to us and he pulled us in. He said, boys, the rule is you can't score inside the opposition's box or you can't score outside it. And he said, yeah, sure. Why would you bother going up the pitch, pitch at all? When they have possession, I want the three standing on the edge of that box and just start mowing lads out of it when they come in. So something that happened then was that we just stood right back and as the forwards from Munster were coming through, we were just cleaning lads because they couldn't score outside the box. And Martin Fogarty was delighted because he was going, Don Logue was pulling his hair out on the other sideline because it wasn't yeah. the free-flowing game that they wanted. I remember that. And this yeah. was the gap. There was a gap in the rule that they, that they thought would implement a savage free-flowing game, but actually, when it, when used incorrectly, it actually made a mockery of the game. Not made yeah. a mockery of it, but mm. it was it was not what the intended plan was. And, and I found the best rule of all using the 11s was the shot clock. That was very good, yeah. That was fabulous. Because yeah, you yeah. knew so something, because it's like just like a basketball, you know, a shot's coming. So, no matter yeah. where they were, there's a shot coming. There's a shot <laughs> coming. And it created yeah. a small bit of tension because lads were panicking the small bit, they're looking up, yeah. shot clock, seven seconds left. Do I shoot? Do I pass it? What do I do? So, there was actually this element of tension with it because lads were all over the place trying to yeah. juggle this shot clock and do I shoot? Don't I shoot? How much time do I have? And what was the punishment for the shot clock? Was it a free or was it Turn the ball over. thrown in? 
turn over. Turnover. So you just leave the ball down and a lad rises up and there was no rule about being back away. So you could just rise it and flick it five yards to a fella and on you And go. you can go. So the thing is, as soon as the ball dropped, you could pick and just go with it. Yeah, yeah. So again, the punishment was was was, was heavy. Like, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You were yeah. getting that shot off. <laughs> so, yeah, so I remember Matt Kinney when we were over in Chicago then, we were playing in the Notre Dame area in the championship game, as we want to call it. And there was like, we were up a couple of points and Matt Kinney was over us as well with Martin Fogarty. And he goes, right, um, I want you to, to drain the clock, like. Hmm. And I said, how the fuck am I going to drain the clock? Like, what, I just, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> so I just remember catching the ball in the last book out and driving it as high as I could. Yeah. Like, up, like, 100 yards up in the cloud. Burned about two seconds. <laughs> Maybe three. Maybe three seconds it burns. And he's, man, he's looking at me with his head, with his, his head in his hands like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, you're both liking the Super 11 <coughs> idea, but Scale, I would love to see if that happened in All-Ireland Final, that someone is working the ball in a late possession and next thing the shot clock goes and then the ball is flicked up and the team get a goal at the other end. It'd be classic. It's just class, but you wait and see the fans trying to adopt that. I know. I suppose it creates another layer of excitement, though, doesn't it? Mm. Like our game is our game is fabulous, in fairness, you know. And I think if you if if there's just one or two adaptations where you can you can just tinker things a small bit, I think you can you can actually make it a better spectacle. Mm. I'm not talking about doing these these massive rule changes and changing things terribly. Just a little little few, a few tweaks, and you know, I like now it's I don't know how we even got on the topic, but the shot clock was 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 a great one for us. Um, I thought the goal has been bigger. No, that was not good. <laughs> Soccer goals are huge. <laughs> well, look, food, food for thought on that one. Um, uh, to be fair, uh, Murph Skell was right last week when he said that Kyle Hayes was going to get a one-game ban. It was speculated a bit mm. on Thursday that it potentially would be two because of the danger of the stroke and the face and all that. But uh, he's going to be banned for Limerick's game against Westmead. Uh, it's not going to affect Limerick too adversely uh, for this coming weekend. Was one game enough, Murph? Um, yeah, I think it was. I, I think it's fair enough, to be honest. I mean, it was. It, like he, he struck him in the head. He used the hurl, uh, oh, what do they call it, in a careless manner. Um, but at the same time, he didn't decapitate anyone either. Like you know, so um, and I think it was probably a smart move from the GA as well, just to actually you know to to, to put in. Top to, to, be, yeah, because what I did see a lot of, of on social media was people going, "Oh, typical Limerick and stuff," which wouldn't be a thing I feel. Okay, we could obviously say that la- they've gotten away with one or two things. Which I think the the Limerick boys have actually said themselves. You know, like Aaron Galan. I'm fairly sure I saw an interview with him where he was saying that he probably should have got sent off against Cahill Barrett and the Munster final. No, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm fairly sure he said that in an interview. But you know, I saw a bit of sentiment, kind of saying that you know it's typical of Limerick to get away with it. It's not up to Limerick. Like if the, if if the umpire or if the linesman or the ref didn't send him off, that's not Limerick's fault. You know, but I do think it was good for the GA just to <clears throat> you know ban him for one match. It puts it to bed. It's done now, and a decision was made. And we just move on from it but a two thing one one game is more than enough I think. but a separate point do you, do you, isn't there evident now that the romance around Limerick is gone oh yeah well I think with, it's gone a good while yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. find I find now I'd say with every successful team if they're if they're very successful they become disliked what they do yeah like I just think of you know I was saying the Man United the Patriots Kikini mm. I, I remember playing Ian a quarter final and Gerard Nan said something about Kikini Slaps and this kind of stuff, slapping on the hand and stuff. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, didn't, yeah. we didn't have a clue about that as the lessons, but um, yeah. you know, little you see these little nuggets of information when we start being put into the media about a certain team. So I, I think that that's what's. It was very evident on Twitter. Let's say it was after the, the, the Limerick goalie game that mm-hmm. the wheel was turning towards Limerick being dirty. You know, they're always at this crack, and you yeah. know, this is this is a, a trait of their play, and just the romance of them was gone now. Now they're oh, it's just like. 
I'd say there's a time period of probably two years that you get two good years out of it. And after that, people want, you know, you're the underdog for a year, maybe two, or let's say you win it. Let's say, what did, what year was it? 2018, they won? 18 yeah. won the first they were, yeah. they were still kind of seen as this fresh underdog in 2019. Maybe not an underdog, but they were still a, a crowd favourite in 2019. Mm. Um, and maybe stepping out of the tag of being the underdog. But, you know, after maybe, what, 21, maybe, they were kind of, let that little break there, 2019, where they didn't win it. You know, after that, you can start to see the sentiment turning on them. But if you look at any team, like, yeah, like let's say that Kilkenny team back 2006, 2009, like I wasn't on that team. And look at it from the outside. People, I mean, the big one at the time was Kilkenny don't play football. Sure, this is the only reason that they're good at hurling. Like, that's <laughs> the only way. And I remember the, the, the opposing argument was Trinic Faldo doesn't play tennis. This was the back and forth that was going on at the time. And then after that, then, if you, let's say if you look at it, Dublin kind of became a dominant team then in, in the mid to, or, you know, 2011 onwards and people started you know it was the money was the big tag with Dublin the only reason they're successful is there's a huge amount of money and so on now let's say Dublin are after drifting from the top spot you don't hear these arguments like there's nobody still bashing about Kenny you know not uh, being prominent in football or let's say feeling a team team no one people give up that ghost and they turn their view to another team so at the moment it's Limerick and people like I hate seeing it when people go on about JP and stuff like he's done incredible things for Limerick and you know, Limerick are a f- like a fabulous team and they've set the, they've set the bar higher again. But people will invariably, like you said, Scale, you know, whether it's Man United or whether it's the Patriots, you know, this tag of if you win too much, you'll find people will come out of woodwork and they'll just find something to beat yeah. you over the head with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the games for this weekend, uh, NASA, who sometimes comments on our YouTube, we were wondering if this was Scale himself looking for a TV when we saw the comment come up uh, <laughs> under the YouTube last week, which was let's get a GoFundMe page available so James can get a TV for hurling only. Hashtag free James. And then I saw a similar comment from her on Twitter afterwards, which confirmed that either Scale has gone an extra level and set up a Twitter account, which also corresponds to a YouTube account, which I'm not ruling out entirely. But let's take Nessa on her word that she's actually just feels for Scale having to watch Love Island. The first thing I jumped into my mind and I should have asked about this at the very start how is Love Island this week Skell? I actually managed to dodge Love Island seven nights in a row so I, th- I think this is, <laughs> is your marriage <laughs> hanging by a thread as a result oh no she's delighted she gets the peace and quiet she doesn't have me in her ear giving out about this lad and that lad and giving out about why she's watching reality television so you just didn't watch it was that it or she watched, yeah, she got television. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't get it. I was what, d- what down the shed. I was down the shed with the cows. I was down. <laughs> you were the gym. Putting, putting one of these new smart balls in half or something, right? Like just straight Yeah, there. I was, uh, <laughs> oh God. I, yeah. I was, in fairness, I let her off because she, she told me the final is in like a couple of weeks. So, uh, and and she's obviously, she's, she's also heavily pregnant. So don't get in her way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Don't get, don't go near her because a switch could be flicked at any moment <laughs> now will you drift back in for the final of it like are you going to go well I'm fairly familiar with these characters I'll sit down and watch the week of the final yeah but like a couple of people said to me last week I, I hear you're a fan of Love Island I, I made no such statement I am not a fan of this show like you know, so no so the answer to your question William I will not check in for the final <laughs> like it's so predictable the, the same thing over look I'm actually going to go off on a rant about Love Island now so just stop me there okay stop me there please <laughs> yeah, they're, all actually, make, they're all making connections lifelong connections uh, James oh like they're going to stay together they're all trying to get their sponsorship deals when they go out and that's all they want that's all they want to get out is get in there and get a sponsored deal and then be mentioned for the rest of their life. And hey, come here, I can't blame them. No, you can't. Look at Tommy Fury fighting away. Got Molly, yeah, is it Molly May? For May? no reason. 
Money May Hague, is it? Uh, yeah. Skehel, though, you're not, you're not covering yourself in glory here. No. Tindon, you don't know Anton. Molly May, as quick as that, yeah. <laughs> I don't watch Love Island. Molly May? Was it Molly May? <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's ta- she Tommy Fury's missus, like, I, I'm a fan of the boxing, so I should know that. She's Tommy Fury, like, I mean, she, you should barely even know him at that stage, like, you know, to yeah. be honest. He's uh, a good looking man. Did he win his fight? He did, he did, <laughs> he did win his he, fight. He, he did win his fight, yeah. He beat Logan Paul. Um, pretty comprehensively in the end, actually. So I don't know. He's he's ranked now at this stage as well. I think it was his sixth win. So yeah, we were debating this last week on a, a slight tangent on OTB whether it's good for boxing, bad for boxing. Just not a f- look. Enjoy it if you want, but like it's just not yeah. something I was going to pay. It's the most for. frustrating sport. I'm telling you, boxing because you just think about why are we going to boxing, but we just think about <laughs> Mayweather and Pacquiao. That time they should have fought. That's why I love the UFC. Like they'll they'll fight each other. You know. Yeah. Boxing yeah. lads are just dodging and dodging. Like, yeah. like Fury and, and Fury and, and the likes of, let's say, Joshua. Like, why are you they fought? Because like? they were you trying know? to get to a point scale where it would make sense that they both held titles. And if Joshua hadn't lost his, then you would have had your lineal world champion in Fury up against Joshua who holds the rest of the belts. And it would have been an all-British affair at Wembley. They're going to unify all the belts in one go. And that's a big money fight. Mm. But... Joshua went and lost twice at times. He lost his head as well. He lost yeah. his head after the last yeah, he one. Was, he yeah. was surely concussed after that one. It yeah, had to be. He had to be. It was, yeah. it was uncomfortable watching, really. It yeah. was. Yeah. It was difficult, yeah. I kind of, I'll admit I laughed a little bit at the start and then when he kept holding the microphone and it was about two or three minutes into his rant, I was there kind of yeah. going, Ugh. if you I'm on the- his management team or I'm Eddie Hearn, I'm walking over and going, Anthony, uh, give us the mic and just let Usyk collect yeah. the belts and just get off stage. But sure, does Eddie Hearn really care about that? If it's if it's, no. if it's it's no. going to get uh, airtime on social media afterwards, I don't think Eddie Hearn cares. Ching, ching. I'd go as far as say Eddie Hearn doesn't care too much about most of his boxers no. or Katie Taylor would have Crow Park already. And Katie Taylor wouldn't be having to try and promote a fight against um, Chantal Cameron in the three arena as opposed to they would 100% have had Serrano two in Crow Park. Yeah. And Eddie Hearn would have said, hey, you know what, Katie Taylor, for everything you've done for me, I'll basically take the bet that you'll sell out Crow Park. And if I lose a bit of cash, I'll do it. I think Freddie Hearn, he's a promoter. It's about making money from him. And I think Joshua has drifted off into the background now that his stock has been hurt as much since that Usyk defeat. Mm-hmm. Sure, look. Don't know how we ended up talking about boxing, but there we anyway. go. Yeah. Matches this weekend. So we all complained two weekends ago that there was only the one hurling match on the TV when we had Galway against Limerick. Well, you can't move for options to watch games this weekend. Yeah. So before we dive into the fixtures, I'll just tell you um, the schedule on the TV because I got it a little bit earlier on today. So 7-15 game on Saturday night is Tip and Waterford, which should be a good one. Uh, Semple Stadium Division 1B, that's on TG Carr. The watching options for Sunday then, Antrim against Leash is being streamed on the BBC iPlayer. I'm not sure if we can stream that down here, um, but I'm sure there are clever people listening to us right now who will find workarounds if they want to watch the match anyway, and they're not in Ulster. Uh, TG Carr will be showing Clare against Galway, which is the 145 start in Ennis. At the same time, you've got Kilkenny against Dublin at Nolan Park, and that's available on the TG Carr app if you want to watch it live, and it'll be the deferred match on the TV afterwards. And then you've got Cork against Wexford, Porky Cueve, TG Carr in Division 1A at 3.45. So in theory, you could sit down at 1.45 on Sunday afternoon once you've recovered from watching Tip and Waterford on the Saturday and you could watch three hurling matches in a row on the Sunday. So we have basically, Murph, a festival of hurling this time round. And in this case, some fixtures that actually might matter a little bit as well. 
Yeah, there are some fixtures. I suppose, in fairness, a lot of a lot of things lined up in um, last weekend that maybe we didn't learn a whole lot from it, and maybe teams didn't target it as a real test. But um, there's lots of games there where you know, again, getting to the to the latter end of the league, there be players putting their hands up. So we may see you know a bit of sparks flying in some of the games. Um, but you look at a few of them there, like Cork and Wexford. Wexford having to go to Cork. Um, carrying a few injuries, Cork in good place. Cork will be looking to keep that momentum up. You know, there there looks like that could potentially be a one-sided game. Obviously, you know, Westmead and Limerick. Kilkenny and Dublin, you know, hard one to call in terms of uh seeing, you know, will Kilkenny, I suppose, step it up again against Dublin? You know, we we highlighted maybe a few of Dublin's weaknesses there um from last week. Not weaknesses, just this, you know, their, their shot tendencies, sh- tending to shoot from from tough angles. Will Kilkenny capitalize on that? So look at there's a few on Tip and Watford look like that that could be a great game as well because we've kind of said about Watford that maybe have they been, you know, massively tested in a few of the games. Um, it's hard to know what Watford are doing really yet. I, I can't really make sense of what they're trying to do at the moment. You know, Austin Gleeson coming in off the bench um, and Tip seems to be quite clinical as well. And that game in Semple Stadium, I think Tip will want to carry on what they're doing. So I think we should know a lot more from this weekend and, and have a good few more takings for next Monday's podcast, definitely. Yeah. All right, Scott, let's start our look ahead then by looking at Tip and Watford because... <clears throat> This is a game, if Tipperary were to win at home because of the position they're in right now, they'd almost be guaranteed top spot in Division 1B. Um, obviously, both these teams are trying to get into the semi-finals as things stand with both undefeated so far. For Waterford, this is a run-out ahead of Championship. Semple Stadium is going to be important for them because it's their home venue for the Munster Hurling Championship. So no harm to get a game there before coming out for a couple in the Championship uh, in a month's time as well. How do you see it going on Saturday evening? Um, I think am I, am I right in saying Will that if if, if there's a head to head, let's say there's, there's equal points, head to head gets it, is it? Yeah. So, so two teams head to head. If it's more than two teams on level points, score difference. So Waterford are currently on five points, Tipper on six. So if Tip win this game, they're, they're, they're top of the table. They're guaranteed because they're head to head on on Kinney, is that right? They do, yeah. Um, so they're virtually guaranteed to semi-final. So it's, it's there's a big prize in offer. I don't wrong. I'm kind of along the same thought process as Morph. I'm just not quite sure. I'm not sure where Waterford are at. Um, or how they're kind of pace themselves like the Gossie Gleeson one he seems to come off the bench and influence the game to get them over the line or influence them to get them towards the line should I say so he's obviously still one of their, their biggest players so why he's not playing or, or getting full minutes is, is, is questionable so is this um, the game scale to bring him in like if he scored absolutely. Once, I think he got four points uh, twice in games coming off the bench yeah, like he surely now you're putting him out there 100% absolutely You like he's 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 Watford's best player, you know. So he needs to be on the pitch. You need your most influential players on the pitch at all times. If you don't have a huge supporting cast, right? And they don't like look. Every county doesn't have the doesn't have the riches that Limerick have. So like, it's, it's been like flipping uh, Kilkenny just leaving off Adrian Mullen. Adrian Mullen if he's available or TJ. You know, you're not going to do that. So like, in a game of this importance, and I do think it's it is that you you hit, you hit the nail on the head. It's a precursor for championship, so I think what Fitz will be doing is to try to, I'll say, mirror mirror a championship run, or mirror championship preparation. So he's probably going to power a strong fifteen. Tip at home, things going well, a bit of life back in the place again down there. You could say <coughs> with Liam Cattle at the helm, you know, it's a big game, and I can see there's going to be sparks flying, as I say. And I'd say Tip, um, they're just moving so well at the minute. Will I'm looking at Tip to to win by five or six, to be honest. Yeah, I would think, Murph, if you're Liam Cal coming into this and with the way the Tipperary have been hurling and they'll want to back up the performances they've done so far. So they didn't let up on Leash in the first game. Played very well, particularly first half against Kilkenny. And we talked last week about how good they were in a general sense against Dublin and Crow Park the last day. They don't want to put in a dud performance this is. Tipperary want to kind of keep this moving now. 
Yeah, and, you know, I think all indications are is that they will keep it moving because we were speaking about it last week. When I look at a tip at the moment, they just seem to have a clear mind, you know, to get the ball, they're moving it into a good position, they're putting it over the bar. They're not doing anything overly complicated, but the players seem to have a very definite idea of what, what they're trying to do as a team and what they are doing. Um, where Watford at the moment, it's, you know, very much hurled for 10 minutes, might be in the game for 15 minutes. They bring in Austin Gleeson and he scores four or five points, inspirational stuff. It's it's a bit scattered where at least Tip are staying consistent. They're performing throughout the game. Um, so at the moment, I, I definitely think, you know, obviously being with Watford last year, Liam Cal again will target this no more than when we were saying last year that when he comes up against Tipperary, he'll want to, you know, make a statement. I just think that Tip have a better idea of where they are at the moment. I think there's a bit of confidence about them in how they've went about their games and the way they're playing. There's a freshness about them as well. Even without the injuries, they seem to have kind of just other lads have slotted in. And we're even talking last week about the options. They do, even though they have injuries, they seem to have options in terms of O'Mara moving around or Mar and so on. So I just think that I agree completely with Skettle there that I just think that where Tipperary are at the moment completely just out of converting what they're what they're um the chances they're creating at the moment i think they'll win by five or six points um but i, I do think it's an opportunity to start austin gleason i mean they're when it comes to championship they're going to start him so unless davy fits his plan and you know he's holding them out of the team maybe to try and make other lads step up i don't really know what it is but like you have to play your best team you want to start getting shape on your best 15 and you know the problem we've t- we've spoke about for not the problem but austin gleason has played so many positions over the years if Davy Fitz comes in and nails down a position where he gets the most out of Austin Gleeson, well, I think that's you know a savage platform to go a championship with. But by leaving him out of so many of the games where he's clearly fit, I mean, you wouldn't bring him on if he wasn't. Why leaving him out of the team doesn't really make sense to me. So I'd love to see him starting this weekend and I'd love to see both teams go at it. Um, but I just think Tipper may be in a better position, but you know, could be eating my words Monday morning nevertheless. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think Scott will know a little bit more about Waterford over the next two weekends because... I can understand why Davy Fitz maybe held a little bit back in reserve and maybe wants to go a little bit experimental in the first few rounds of the league. And I'm sure if Davy Fitz was almost right now, he would say what hasn't helped are the red cards that they've picked up in these first three fixtures as well. But mm-hmm. they're playing against Dublin, Leash and Antrim, games they were expected to win. They've come through them unbeaten. Mm-hmm. So now the real test is Tip and Kilkenny <coughs> in back-to-back weeks before either potentially going to the semi-finals of the league or going directly to the championship. We should know an awful lot more about where Waterford are under Davy Fitz in two weeks' time. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think Davy Fitz um, has probably used the first three games as a method of introducing players. And see, again, a bit like Henry and Galway, seeing what he has. I'm not saying he's disrespecting that position in any way, but it, you get that sense that it's probably, it, there's a grander plan here, with, him, with specifically with the Isaac Leeson situation. So he's got two big tests coming up now. Um, and just the, the whole... I don't know what you call it, the mood. But just, you know how the mood in Tipperary at the minute, the body language of the Tipperary players' management is all so positive. It's all so good. It's, everything seems to be going in the right direction for them. It's just, it's not there at Watford at the minute. You know, you, you would have thought with a new management team, albeit oh, he's back in his second stint, that there'd be like a, a bounce in them and a kick. And just, we're, we're waiting for that kick to come. I am anyway, waiting to see when, when this kick comes, when are they going to hit, hit life again under this new management team? And I expect to see something something big at the weekend. But I just, I just think the level they're at at the minute and what they're producing is not where Tipper at the moment. Uh, and like we, we could sit here Monday, next Monday and we could obviously be looking at how Watford win of course we can it's depending on what way the teams are picked but I see a, kind of a, a good a good strong near full strength Watford side going out put up a big challenge to tip and um, and, and we know not, we know an awful lot now in the same breath we, we thought we knew a lot about the master 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, and look what happened there. So, again, hold, watch this space. It remains to be seen. Look, punditry and predictions makes a fool of pretty much everybody. Like, I think of last weekend, and I consumed a reasonable amount of the media on Saturday and Sunday ahead of Liverpool and Manchester United at Anfield. And everyone was saying, this is going to be tight. Eric Ten Hag, the way that Manchester United are playing, there's no way that they'll ever lay down or be heavily beaten. And this has been used as a stick to beat Liverpool with about the Madrid game the week before. Oh, yeah. And then Liverpool go and win 7-0. So yeah. pretty much everyone predicted that wrong. Even people who yeah. were saying Liverpool were going to win. I didn't hear anybody say it will be more than Liverpool might nick it 1-0 or this could be a 2-1. There was literally yeah. nobody out there saying this was going to be 7-0. So um, I bet you minus one. You took yeah. minus one, did you? I bet you United minus one, yeah. I should have backed United minus what eight. So, <laughs> I, I, I backed United to win by two. Like, <laughs> this is the easy. It's like, I'm looking at the game. That's, that's not a seven, is it? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So, punditry is tricky. Yeah, you're putting your, you're putting your, your, your um, name on the line there with that one. Yeah, but. That's why I was trying to ask you more general questions about where teams are going as opposed to going, mm. who's going to win? Is this definitely going to be a clear win? So it's used by a supporter of one of the two teams to say that either <laughs> Paul Murphy or James Keller are entirely yeah. against my county. So, But it's way, easier, it's way easier to track where a team is in championship, obviously. Yeah. You know, because they're, mm. they're all going hammer and tongs. They're all the same fitness levels and, 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 and obviously the top 15s are out. In league, it's just very difficult. I did not see, I did not see Clare and Wexford going the way it was at all last week. Mm. But no. we, I saw. I think I said clear by a pint or two, hmm. and they won. I by said Wexford. <laughs> <laughs> that's because they're your neighbours, yeah. I, but uh, I think that's that's twenty points, you know, or whatever they got beaten by. I just yeah. did not see that coming at all. <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like to concede four seventeen in one half is just absolute insanity, really. But that Wexford injury list, by the way. Because uh, now being confirmed that Liam Ryan won't hurl for the rest of the league. So his finger injury that he picked up against Galway is a bit worse than they thought. So Paddy Foley is staying in Australia for the moment. And then you've got Lee Chin's got his hamstring issue. Matthew Hannon hasn't been seen so far. He's got a groin problem. Rory O'Connor has been nursing a knee injury. And I don't think he's back training yet. Mark Fanning has a groin. He might be back for this week, but we're not sure. And Kevin Foley's had a leg injury. I think he's just after returning to training. So like that's... Basically, the core group, there's all-star nominees in there. There's an all-star in Lee Chin. Like, Murph, that's a lot of players to be missing. And I know we, in no way would we talk about, say, where the players that come in for Wexford shouldn't have um, put up the white flag as easy as they did last week. But that's an incredible amount of hurlers and very important players who were out the one time. And they're facing a very, very difficult game this weekend uh, when Wexford make the trip to Porky Cueve as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, losing that core group of players, it really opens the floodgates. Um, even looking back at last week, you know, we were dissecting just, you know, how poor Wexford were. But when that leadership isn't there on the pitch to, I suppose, guide lads through when other teams are getting purple patches, if you if, if you don't have that, that, those steady hands, those purple patches turned into absolute routings, really, you know. Um, and that's not to make any excuses for Wexford either. But, you know, there's a lot of lads there who have played some serious matches for Wexford over the years and stood up at huge times. Like, you think of Liam Ryan, for example. Like, you picture Liam Ryan, you picture this fella driving out from the full-back position, going up, even scoring points and different things. And probably the lad who invokes the biggest reaction out of the Wexford um, supporters when he comes out with a ball. Like, some Matthew O'Hanlon and these lads. Like, you know, lads who probably don't get the credit they deserve, but have held really important players scoreless uh, in their time for Wexford. So... Losing those lads and asking a whole batch of new players to come in is, is, is a huge ask. It's not where Darry Egan wants to be either because he's going down to Wexford now trying to rally the troops and 
there's maybe lads in that dressing room who are still reeling from that loss against Clare and now looking at a more formidable task in Cork. So it's not an ideal position by any means. Um, I suppose the only silver lining is that Darry Egan will look at this and say, well, look, I have these players, hopefully touch wood to come back and that, then I'll get them all back in time. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, getting them back, there'll still be a small yeah. bit, um, I suppose a small bit green going into championship in that they wouldn't have the miles in the legs, they wouldn't have be that battle-hardened from playing a bit of league matches. So it's not an ideal situation at all for Wexford. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's certainly a tough ask for those younger players, inexperienced players coming in, trying to <laughs> fill these boots of, of, of the lads you just mentioned. Yeah, scale what you need if you're Dar Egan right now is a response to what happened before the break. Like maybe they're not going to beat Cork on Sunday afternoon, but they can't afford to hurl the way they did against Clare. Well, like I saw, I saw a tweet from Marcus Rashford today, and he said if they could play straight away today, they would. You know, that's that's the nature of a sportsman that when you when you suffer a heavy defeat or an embarrassing loss, you know, that Wexford suffered last week, you want to get straight back out on the pitch again and kind of right the wrong. And I was just as Murph was talking, I was kind of thinking to myself there. Am I expecting Wexford a big kick in them? Or am I expecting Cork to go strong and Thompson blow on Parky Weave? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know where I, I'm expecting both. I, I, not both, respect. I'm saying I'm certainly expecting something out of Wexford. There has to be a big kick. I, I don't know, would he have dogged them in training hard to say, uh, will he do it this week? Because you need a response in, tra- in, in the match. You know, you can train hard and you can go at each other ham and tongs after a loss. But ultimately, where you get your most confidence is, is in his performances. You know, so if they go out against Cork, and put in a good performance. And if they get bit, put in a good performance minus the players they're missing. That's a huge positive for them. Mm. But if they go back down, if they train fierce hard in the, in the two weeks and there's heavy legs and they go down to Cork where, you know, they're, they're high energy down there at the minute and they're, they suffer heavy loss, that that's like five steps backwards in my opinion. So I think what they need here, first and foremost, is a, is a big kick with a big risk with a big response and ultimately to produce a, a, big, a good performance so again while, while, while I'm talking I'm going to say like the Cork are going to probably to win it and, mm-hmm. but again similar margins to what I was saying in Tipperary Watford five or six and if Cork get mo- get, if Cork get moan you know what I mean and next thing Wexford again as I said miss, missing those lads there's potential there for the floodgates to open Yeah because Murph Cork are effectively into the semi-finals already with the results that they've had they probably won't want to leave it to the last weekend to play against Clare to be 100% guaranteed. Maybe they want to get first seeding. Like, there's every incentive here for Cork to go out, do a job on Wexford this Sunday, and then maybe you've got a chance to mix things up against Clare in the last round, knowing that the semi-finals are already secured. Yeah, exactly. You know, and uh, what I was saying there at the start was Cork will just want to keep their momentum up. So I think Cork will put out a strong team. I know they didn't put out as strong a team against Westmead. But I think they will put out a strong team with the aim that if if all is going as planned, they will start to put, take a few of them players off and, you know, introduce a few of the players who have performed really well um, when introduced and let them, you know, maybe do a bit more of the heavy lifting, but kind of hold a few players in reserve so that you can really go at Clare because you can expect that Cork will be looking at the Clare game um, saying, well, Clare you know, in recent history, go at us, you know, and they will target it. And if there's one thing you you don't do is take care for granted, you know, at any stage, because they're capable of putting in these savage performances. And particularly now with the likes of uh, Conlon and Tony Kelly back, they're kind of different beasts to what the teams have played at the start of the league. You know, they're starting to get this maybe, well, okay, they only played one game, but they have a bit of vigour back in their play. So I think Cork will look at it and say, look, a clean sweep here would be really good for us, be good for the confidence it would compound everything we're doing and just say to everyone that, yeah, when we hurl, when we all play as a team and implement what we're talking about in the dressing room, well, we're capable of beating anyone. So I think that's Cork's aim at the moment. I don't think they'll take Wexford for granted. 
I think they'll get out there. And if at the 40 minute mark, you know, they're up by the six or you know, even 10 points, they'll start taking lads off. Um, but I think Wexford, it, like if Wexford hold this to six with the crew they have, that's not a bad result for Darry Egan. Uh, and I think that is steady in the ship, which if you said that for any other team nearly over the weekend, you'd say, oh, it's a, it's a bad beating. You know, if Kilkenny and Dublin go out and and, and Dublin beat Kilkenny by six, you go, that's a bad beating. But just coming off the back of what Wexford have come off, if they do that and the players put in a good performance and he sees a different uh, level of attitude and, you know, application from the players, I think Darry Egan will go, okay, that's better and that's what we expect out of you. But I don't see... I don't see Wexford coming within six of of uh, of Cork. Yeah, Clare have still got Mean to come back in. They've got Shane O'Donnell last and hurled yet this year. Uh, they had, as we mentioned there already, uh, Conlon and Kelly back the last day, and what a difference in lift uh, they gave to the team. So Clare got two wins and three so far. Take on your county uh, Galway this weekend, Scal <coughs> in Ennis, and you know there's every incentive for Clare to win this game. See what happens with Limerick's last game, and they probably—I would imagine—they probably won't get to a semi-final, but they can give themselves a chance by winning this game against Galway big time at the weekend in Ennis. How do you see this game going? This, this is a big game too. Will. Like it's a big game for both teams. Like uh, Galway have two points clear of four, and that's why I asked you about the head-to-head earlier on. Like if Galway can manage the result in this one, which is going to be difficult in that pitch, you know, it's difficult. Clear, clear always perform, perform at home, <clears throat> and they've always got a good crowd too. Um, Let's just say they put out two strong 15s. You know, I, I, it's it's hard for me to see with with the way both teams are playing at the moment. Like, there's no evidence to say that Galway will top it here. Like, Galway did produce a lackluster performance against Cork and kind of for, for large periods against Limerick. So you're saying they haven't got huge momentum. They haven't got, you know, um, an awful lot going well at the moment, you could say. And then Clare on the back end are after coming off a big victory. So where, where conference is high and like... I always say with teams the best method of improvement is recruitment so when you get someone like Tony Kelly back and John Connell it just adds another layer of improvement onto them um, so I'm hoping to see Galway probably introduce more of the regular starters that we've become accustomed to um, and see can we again like you were saying more fairly on get a settled 15 um, and get kind of our big players on the pitch early which is like the Conor Whelan's the Brian Cannons they didn't start against Limerick so get get them going and see can we, we top it clear it's a tough game for me to call um, I, th- I don't think there'll be a point to win it um, but this is head over heart I, I'd be calling clear at the moment If Galway were to lose Scal and say they end up in a position where the league finishes up that they beat Wexford in the first round and we know all about Wexford's trouble since and say they beat Westmead in the last round but have lost all the rest of the games would that be an incredibly disappointing league for Galway or, or would it really matter? Um, I, I think we're, we're where Galway, where we see Galway at the minute, um, you know, locals call Norwegians, where we see them and we see where their potential can get to, um, I, I'd be disappointed, yeah? Like, success to me, every year I do it for Galway, I say, what's the successful year for Galway? I say, it's getting out of the group in the league, it's winning the Leinster, and it's been very competitive in the semi-final to see where you get, can you get to a final. Do you know what? At, at present terms. In years previous, it would be winning the whole lot. But at, at present time, is can we get to a final, an Ireland final? Whereas now, I look at it and I go, we haven't played particularly well, um, I haven't seen an awful lot of new lads come in and put their hand up to be honest um, Cahan Manning after doing his hamstring again so it's like he's a huge loss to us so there's not a huge a lot of positives but then on, on the other hand I'm saying you know we've got guys to come back like we haven't really integrated the, the whole of the Thomas's guys um, you know Finch and, and David and you know I said Brian Cannon has been with the Fiskaven and hasn't really got so we, the whole thing hasn't got rolling yet if you know what I mean so I 
again, they're more than watch for the next two weeks. Like you want to see what they're going to produce because um, they haven't done well in the last the last three weeks with the two. Now, albeit against the two top level quality opposition teams. So, if we lose to Clearwell, and that means our last game is Westmead, isn't it? Yeah. Westmead, yeah. Like, it'd be, you know, it's 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 a bad league. Do you know what I mean? To be honest, if if we lose against the against the big teams, if you want to put it that way. So Wexford, as we said, we're, they're kind of in dire straits at the moment with injuries. So you'd be expecting a win there, which we did. And then after that, it's Westmead that you expect to win there. And then not not top of one of the bigger teams in the group. That's disappointing. What do you think, Murph? Your heart doesn't have to come into this at all. Clare and Galway. Yeah, uh, with Clare, uh, anytime Clare and Ennis, I just go, Jesus, that's a tough. And that's not, you know, a flipping thing that you look at every team and say in their home ground, Ennis is a tough place to go. And we've always had tough battles with them coming out with a few beatings from, from Ennis as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd actually agree with Skevlin in this one. Like, my head is, this is going to be a tight one. I think Galway may find it hard to get a bit of change out of the, the Clare defence and Clare just, you know, kind of having this energy they seem to have in, in, in up in Ennis. In my head, it's just telling me like Clare by two points, for example. And, you know, and I don't know where I'm really pulling that from because it's actually quite a tough one to call. Um, like, I, I think, I fully believe that Galway have the players there and the personnel to go and rack up a great score on, on Clare, but for some reason just can't seem to get that done at the moment. You know, they're, they're kind of stuttering at the moment. Uh, and I do think they'll get it right because I do think that just they just the quality of players they have they they won't you know they're not going to fall flat. But just this game, um, you know, coming off the back of the Limerick match, even though Galway weren't far off it, I just see kind of Clare causing them problems down in Ennis, being very tight. Tony Kelly causing problems, and my gut is just telling me you know Clare by two points at the moment. Well, Skell, Anthony Nash was sent to us on Friday and it's always a really good chat between uh, Jerry and Anthony on a Friday afternoon, but he was saying that his one concern for Galway at the moment is just the pressure on Conor Whelan within that forward line to shoulder a lot of the responsibility for scores. And his feeling was in some of the games they have coming up that maybe Galway might be a little bit short up front. Would that be a concern that you'd share? Um, it's a concern, but I, you see, the concern wouldn't develop to worry. You know, I, if I was heading into towards worrying, I'd be a different kettle of fish. But like, mm. it, it was kind of a similar situation last year, if you remember, where Connor was, was leading the charge and, and leading it quite well from the front. And then we were coming up against Limerick and I was thinking, geez, Sean Finn's going to mark Connor Wheel now and how is this going to affect Galway? And in fairness, Galway performed fierce well. You know, it's just that I think Connor is probably indirectly taking up the mantle that Joe uh, probably had for Galway for years. Um, not quite at the same level, obviously, with with with, with all the the furrow around Joe for years. But he's, I think he's he's he he has that mental. I think he carries it quite well, to be honest. Um, but language is always good. He's always his work rate is, is seriously impressive. And it's just a question then for for the, the supporting crew, what can they do with him? Uh, do around him. Um, but again, uh, Cahill being injured, like that's. I'm just, I'm just praying that he's getting right for the championship. Like that he's that he's um he's going to be because if he's He's probably Connor's biggest supporting cast member, the link, let's say, in there, the forwards. Like, you need, you need Cahal flying it in, in conjunction with Connor for Galway to be effective. Like, he, he's a huge loss. And then I also think we're going to have to probably transition Joseph Cooney up out of the backs and put him back into where we've probably grown accustomed to it for years and Galway in the forwards. Um, just because I think we need a big man up there who can win win and run direct and shoot shoot on sight as well at times. So, um, it's going to be a bit of rejigging, right? Um, but I don't think Connor's on his own. I wouldn't say that. That's probably a bit unfair. 
Do you know? If Joseph Cooney moves up, who do you play in your half back line then? Well, you have, see, you have Dahi to come back. Like Dahi's a huge player to come back. In fairness, you know, you've got Finton to come back. So that's two of your starting backs that you have played against Limerick. So they're they're probably going to come back into. I, I can probably see Dahi. I'm, I'm always on the on the side of Dahi going back into fullback. I know Garage Mack is doing well at fullback at the moment. You fullback and early back at six then. I put Garage to six because he's, he's a, again they're two supreme athletes. But Dahi is just exceptional at fullback. To be honest, he's got that great mix like Murphy's on about last week. You know, he's like he's like a cornerback at fullback, but he's just so strong on the high ball. He can do both. He can run and he can contest early. So you've got Finton to come in and you've got Dahi to come in. So that's two of your backs straight away sorted. And so then with Joseph coming coming up up in the forwards again, you get another big a big unit of man up there. So I don't think we're concerned. We always have good backs, to be honest. Always, it's just uh, like we our concession rate. I know the last two weeks doesn't just doesn't really uh, apply in this in this comment, but our concession rate is never really that high. We're ne- we're never conceding you know four goals and twenty five points. You could say it's only four twenty four against Cork. Go on. Yeah, that's why I said my comments this is in the league. That's as good. <laughs> <laughs> but in in terms of it's, it's scoring scoring efficiency, scoring ability, you know. Yeah. So that's that's uh, a concern, not a worry. Nolan Park then. Wasn't a good performance uh, at Nolan Park last time, Murph, when Tipperary came into town. Kilkenny are going to have to obviously improve on that. But it seems to be getting to a point, just um, reading some of Derek Ling's comments, that the Ballyhill players are now coming back into the four and maybe coming back into the team. And look, we could be accused of underestimating how important that spine of Ballyhill players are on the Kilkenny team still. Yeah, and I, I think what the Ballahill lads really do is just bring out the best in the lads around them as well. It's not just the case that Kilkenny lads are, are leaning heavily on them, but the, like the bit of creativity from the Ballahill lads is is huge in terms of opening up the, the players around them. Like if you look at Owen Cody, Owen Cody does what he kind of wants on the pitch in terms of he drifts, he goes at the ball, he'll catch it with his right, he'll catch it with his left, he'll do a solo. Like there was clips going around there from the county final um, with Ballahill and James Stevens. Balahail boys, there's one you know clip that everybody saw. I think where Balahail was just playing around with the ball and they just waited and waited until they transitioned it across to the far side. Evan Shefflin pops up and over the bar. That's what Balahail kind of bring to it. Like the, and those players in particular, they create this kind of freedom within and, and a freedom within the play. And where they get a ball, they move around, they bring other lads into the game. They maybe take their score themselves. And if you look at the Tipperary match. Kilkenny were just a bit disjointed. You know, maybe there was too many new players on the pitch. Not to say too many new players, but, you know, to expect them to have a free-flowing game in which, you know, they were just popping balls over, making right decisions. You can guarantee now with having the likes of Owen Cody, and obviously enough, we have to wait to see what the team is going to be the weekend. But you'd imagine the likes of Owen Cody will be there. Um, you don't know who else from Ballahale will be there. But the fact that they'll just have influence on the players around them, they, they'll also have a kind of a common type of figure because the centre attention will be those lads as well. That it'll just bring a bit more freedom of play into the Kilkenny play as well. Um, I think Kilkenny, there's no harm. They got a little bit of a kick in the arse against Tipperary, which is never a harm, you know, at this stage of the year. Um, again, went out and look again, not to be taken away from. They played against Leash and they did what was expected of them. They didn't get drawn into a, a dogfight. They put up a big score. They came away there with two points. So I think Kilkenny will look at this game and go, OK, playing against Dublin. Dublin, you know, tipping long, they'll, they'll score if you let them to score. But... We want to put pressure on these lads and we want to, I suppose, step up again from the Tipperary performance. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the likes of, you know, even David Blanchfield now, he he had a good impact coming in against Tipperary as well. I think a few lads, you know, there's been learning points that Kilkenny will take from the last few games. Uh, and I don't think there'll be any sort of panic whatsoever because there are younger lads even putting the hand up there as well. So I think Kilkenny, you know, it's a big test for them. Uh, well, not a big test, but it's a good test for them to go out Nolan Park, 
you know, again, say this is Dublin coming to town. We traditionally don't lose to Dublin and Nolan Park. We go out there, we put up a big win. We keep this, the, the, you know, we keep improving. We keep looking to learn a few lessons from each game. And, you know, the last thing that anyone to do this weekend is go out and, and, and lose a scrappy game to Dublin and then kind of be asking, OK, well, what are we doing here? You know, which I don't expect them to do. I think they'll have enough for Dublin. Um, and I think they'll certainly, as we were talking about last week, we'll put pressure on Dublin to shoot from those areas, kill Dublin's momentum by maybe forcing Dublin to shoot a few wides. You'll probably see a man-marking job as well on Burke as well, just to maybe take his influence out of the game. So who, can do, you, have a few- who do you put in Donald Burke if you're uh, Derek Ling this weekend then? Um, see, you know, I would have said the likes of Paddy Deegan, maybe. Paddy Deegan has enormous running in him. Like, first of all, you're, you're going, right, I want to put someone on this fella that has huge running, and that, that's Paddy Deegan. Are you laughing now because I'm going to say Butler, eh? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm waiting for The Michael well, Butler tax is ready. Michael Butler, name. yeah. Well, like, I mean, you're just trying to think, where is Donald Burke going to play? You know, is he going to be out around the middle? I don't think they'll put... Uh, Butler on him if he's going to be out there they might just but then, then again you don't want to commit one of your influential midfield players or half not even half forwards but someone around that area to man mark him you want someone just to go listen that's your job and the reason I think it likes a Paddy Deegan or these is that they have an enormous amount of running you want a fella that can just go with a lad wherever he goes on the pitch and he won't be found wanting in legs not saying there's anyone else there but that's what I'm looking at so but didn't sorry I'm to interrupt you didn't Mikey Butler do Cahill Manning and Tony Kelly last year he did yeah yeah he, did, yeah. he, he was on the boat was he he was on a boat, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the boat, they were kind of anonymous. <laughs> so anonymous, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so, look, I mean, if, if he is playing, if Mikey Butler is playing, I think it's it's a no-brainer because he seems to be able to just go to Mark Lads, but then also when the game opens up, he comes out with a few balls. He doesn't actually, yeah. you know, he's not just anonymous yeah. himself. So it depends, you know. But I do think Kenny will go, because we said it last week, of any team who won't play in Dublin now, there's, you know, an elephant in the room that if we keep Donald Burke quiet here from play, Potentially, we're holding Dublin back from maybe four or five points then uh, on the scoreboard, which in any game is huge. So I think Kilkenny will target that. They will, you will see a man-marking job done on them. And after that, Kilkenny will look to play their own game and keep Dublin out to the channels, shooting from wide areas. Yep. Maybe someone like Danny Suffolk comes in and be more important this week than he was against uh, Tipperary before the break. But I would think if I'm me all done this weekend, Skell, I'd be sitting down showing the video of last year in the Leinster Championship and saying... The one thing you don't do at Nolan Park is get bullied like you did at Parnell Park last year. Yeah, and they did. And like we we spoke about it after that game, I actually remember it well, is that they had no plan B at all. And just that their, their general basics of gameplay was terrible, you know, with respectfully speaking. Like their their ball retention, we always talk about the full forward line. It's, it's a big thing for me. If I if we send in thirty balls in their full forward line, well then half of them have to go over the bar, half of them have to stick. And there was a there was a, a, a passage in that play last, last year. I can't remember who was on the end of it. I think it was uh, did Billy Ryan get a goal against Dublin last year in the second half? Yeah, he did, Jen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so got in the first half. Yeah. Like that was just the touch work back, you know, it's everything you expect off off a team that's, that's operating in a slick manner, whereas Dublin was the opposite. And any ball that was coming in was going out. And I think I think what I know Michael wasn't there. He wasn't John Paris that holds it up, but I, I think what he wants to see is probably a continuance of the improvement. Like I mean they, they are improving, to be honest, mm. they are. And uh Norman Park again we're talking about Innes, Norman Park is very difficult to go. You've got a mix there of Kikini, the last game played in Northern Park, who's obviously the tip one. Kikini are going to be pumped as well, so it's going to be a huge challenge for him. But I just think we all will want to see a gradual continuance. Like, what would be detrimental here to this group now would be Kikini putting putting them down by 10 or 12 points. That, that's that's a stark you know, decline yeah. in improvement, you could say, for me. So I, I see he wants, just wants to build slowly, keep getting the Leinster Championship and, and, and take it from there. Yeah, game on going to Sunday is Westmead and Limerick in Mullingar. I think for Westmead, 
the whole key, Murph, is to put in a performance like the Cork game the last day, where, as we spoke about last week, they won the second half. They mm. went down by six points, having trailed by nine at one stage. And like that, in a way, will be, I think, a big inspiration coming into the few big games they have coming. I mean, for Westmead, the last two matches aren't going to matter a huge amount because of the results. They know at this stage, with the way the things have shaped up so far, that they're going to be in the relegation playoff against either Antrim or against Leash. But important that against Limerick this week, they don't let the game run away from them. They don't want a situation like the first match where Clare put a score on them. They want it to be more like the court game last week. Yeah, um, I, th- I think Westmead will look at this game and go, they look to try and take away periods of like 10 minutes and different things where they hurled really well against Limerick and maybe implemented their own game in that they moved the ball around Limerick quite well, got scores out of it, that they can reference then in the weeks to come to say, look, you know, every week we go out, we're not going to be playing Limerick. But this is what we were able to do for 10 minutes against Limerick. You know, we we equaled them for scores or we, we outdid them in this period. Or, you know, when we worked the ball from the back line out, we were able to do it against Limerick. You know, we worked it all the way up to the full forward line. They look for all them nuggets to take away. And, you know, and rightly so, because it's again, it's a great opportunity. Granted, look, I hate being here every week and kind of, you know, airing on the side of moral victories and stuff for Westmead, but they can take a lot from this game. Okay, no one's expecting them to go out here and have this outrageous victory, but there's little chunks that they can take that if they're able to implement their game, if they're able to, in certain positions, you know, dominate certain positions, if they can or hurl really well against their counterparts, they can bring that forward and go, well, look what we're able to do against the All-Ireland champions, against this apparently, you know, loaded kind of a, a panel that, that Limerick have of a conveyor belted players. It shouldn't matter who comes off the bench or who Limerick are playing. They're apparently, you know, they have this conveyor belt coming through that any Westmead player who lines up against the Limerick lad the weekend, if you win your position or you hurl really well for periods, you can take a lot from that. And I think that's what they look to do. I don't think they're under any illusions of, you know, the task at hand, but they certainly can come away. And when they're doing their analysis in a few weeks ago, Guys, look at this 10-minute block here. Look at the work rate here. Look at the hooks and blocks we got in. Look how we hounded. Look how we fought for this ball. Look how we turned this ball over, worked it up the pitch and got a score. There's loads of stuff they can take from this. And it, it could be one of the most fruitful um, experiences in one way if they go and take as much as they can from it and really just go at it, see what they can do, see what they produce. And again, combined with the court game where they beat them, let's say, in the second half, you know, there's another feather in their cap where they can point to it and say, well, look, look what we can do when, you know, everybody is pulling in the right direction and, uh, you know, our, our kind of stars align, really. Yeah. yeah. Like, Scale, will Limerick mind getting an extra couple of games, given that uh, we've spoken so much over the last, uh, particularly the last two or three years, just as you know, collectively, we've all talked about how Limerick have used 18, 19 players for the best part with all the success they've had. A few new lads coming in. A few of them have shown quite well at college level this year. Maybe this is going to be an opportunity to maybe have a further look at some of them. Probably the same with the Wexford game in Limerick's last match. Will John Kiley mind going into a semi-final ahead of playing in the Munster Championship? Like, do extra games matter to Limerick this year? Because last year they had such a finesse run in because they went out of the league early. Yeah, look, I just, I was probably, in, I suppose, I was interested to listen to the Morrissey's talk after the goal game. Uh, both Dan and Tom and they were saying like that they're, I know the perception is that, that Limerick don't I use the word loosely care about the, the league but certainly the players do and I think John Kiley has, has the ability at the moment now to, to utilise you know certain players at certain times so like for example we'll see probably a, a weakened Limerick team if you want to call them that from what we usually associate with them and I think he'll use the league I think that I, I honestly believe if he gets to a semi-final they're going to win it you know that if, if, he, if John Kiley comes out with the group uh, and they're in the semi-final Lockwood Hurland they're going to keep going that's just the way I think Limerick have developed that at the minute. And on the same breath, if they don't come out of the group, I don't think he's going to mind too much, you know, because he, obviously he knows what he has. So it's like, 
there's pros and cons to it all. I think it's 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 how far they get. You know what I mean, Will? If it's how far they get, if they, if they progress in the final, they're going to go all the way for it. I think they're going to put the when they're this far, they may as well stay going. But if in the same breath, if they have more preparation time in weeks training because they don't make semi final, you know, so be it. So I, I we'll see. We, we will see a week in Limerick team this week. Um, and like more was just again your telepathy. You're, you're on this week because there's there's thinking thoughts on my head. I was like, <laughs> will Westmead develop a set of measurables? You know. For mm-hmm. this game, like for example, let's not concede a goal. Let's get X amount of tackles. You know what I mean? That's yeah. why I probably I, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. That they'll, they'll probably look at this game in a different mindset than normally the Portugal game. Take their set of measurables and box ticking exercise. Can we keep free countdown? Can we stop this man score next way? You know, so that that's probably the target for them because when you go up against such quality opposition, like you said, the realistic view is they're not going to win the game. Truth yeah. speaking, so you know. But like Limerick again, do you think? So obviously they're, obviously they're missing Hayes, you know. Um, but do they, they have so many good players at the minute, it's not a case of resting players. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Like they've got a juggernaut of players at the minute that whatever team they put out, and I said weekend, it still would challenge any of the top, the top teams. Oh, yeah. So they've just got an embarrassment riches, as we said before. So, yeah, I don't think John Kelly matters too much. Will. Look, I think the, the proof is in the pudding and the, like he's, the last three years have been exceptional for Limerick. So he's, uh, he's quite content to know that the formula he has is working. Yeah, and maybe he'll be happy enough to get rid of that narrative that we all kind of have in our mind, which is, ah, Limerick don't care that much about the league. If they go and win the league, he'll be the first one to turn around. Ah, they're dirty. They're throwing hand passes around. Uh, they're not going for goals. There'll be all sorts of arguments <laughs> that they use against yeah. They're too happy just to rack up the points. And then, Murph, game of the weekend. I gave this last billing because of how important it is, which is the game in Corrigan Park at one o'clock on Sunday, which is Antrim against Leash, because the losers of this game, because of the head-to-head rule, are going to end up playing Westmead in the relegation playoff. I don't know how to call this because last year it looked like Antrim had everything moving in the right direction for them before they played Leash. And Leash looked like they were in trouble. Yeah. And Leash turned them over in Port Leash. This year again, Leash have hurled well at stages in the games that they played so far, shipped a heavy enough beating to Kilkenny the last day. While Antrim have been in the match for the best part, like played very well against both Kilkenny and against Waterford particularly, um, showed good resolve at times in the Dublin game, even though I thought Dublin were comfortable enough winners, maybe more comfortable than the scoreline suggested. But you would think based on what we've seen in the first three weeks that this is going to be an Antrim win. But yet, I wouldn't totally rule out Leash winning Corrigan Park on Sunday. No, I wouldn't. It seems to be kind of, the way I look at this game now is, it's its own little story in, in the game itself because going from last year, Again, like you said, Antrim were showing a little bit better than Leash last year. Well, probably a lot better than Leash last year. And, you know, had a few good wins. And then suddenly they go down to Port Leash and, and, and Leash turn them over. Um, I think Antrim will look at this by being beaten by Leash last year in Port Leash. First of all, they'll turn around and say, lads, these lads can come up to Corrigan Park and beat us. I think the crowd will be behind them. You know, what we associate as well with Corrigan Park, particularly when the crowd know that this is an important game, is the crowd being on the back of the Antrim lads, you know, cheering every sort of a pass, every sort of a shot, you know, shoulder, they'll be on their back like that. And one thing you can't fault this Antrim team for is, you know, when they are tuned in, they're, they're riled up for games and they really go at it. So I think Antrim will look at this to, to, to take, you know, Skettles, Fraser, it, as a measurable game. This is a game that they should win. So why we should go out and win this and really be tuned into that, you know, be tuned into the fact that recognise this is a game that you're expected to win deal with that pressure now of, okay, all the rest of the days you're going out and you're hoping to turn over Watford or, or turn over Dublin or whoever. And, you know, you get away with it if you don't because people say you're not expected to win it. Well, now you're expected to win this game. Go out and win it. Um, 
put up a good performance, take something from the game. And maybe if you feel that Lee shouldn't have bet you last year, we'll go out and right the wrong now. So there's, there is things here that Antrim should be going for. I do tip Antrim to win this game. Um, but like I said, you can't write off. You can't write off Leash because they have shown to be a team that will go at lads. You know, they had great performance against Watford as well. It's just maybe a, barring a few mistakes and Austin Gleeson coming on, you know, they were do, they were performing really well in that game. Didn't really perform or maybe weren't let perform against Kilkenny last week. So you can't write Leash off, but I just fancy, you know, Corrigan Park, Antrim, crying out for a win now at this stage, you know, too many nearlies, as you were saying, Will, like too many near near wins which aren't good enough. So I just think that if Antrim attack this right and have the aggression that we associate with Antrim, you know, I fancy him to win it by, you know, maybe five five points. Because, hmm. Kyle, my read on Antrim's form would be after they lost the game against Leash last year, they went into the relegation playoff against Offaly, hurled very well to stay up that day in Navan. Then they went on to win the Joe McDonough to go back up as a senior county at championship level and in Division 1 for this season. I think they've performed pretty well so far, as we already mentioned in the league. So there's about a year of good form behind Antrim at this stage. They've got to get that feeling now that if they're going to kick on, this game is really important. Absolutely. I think the players know that themselves. I think that if they're trying to um, take steps of progression, this is a game that they should be winning too. Like I agree with Murph. Like I, I look at this game as a, as a complete neutral and I'm saying Antrim should be locking this down by four or five because everything is in their favour at the moment. Like I, I've never personally played up in Corrigan Park, but we've seen enough evidence, you know, to to to, to say that it's it's a again another tough venue to go with. A quite a rapturous crew. They're so passionate about the hurling at Antrim, so all that will get pieced in together and thrown at Leash. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Simply pushed, you know. So like Leash are starting this game four or five points down. That's probably the value that Antrim will place on their local venue. So, uh, and they look at they've got a good management team, good manager. They've done all the right things. Where they were two or three years ago in comparison to now is chalk and cheese, to be fair. Like Antrim, are, they seem to be in the conversation every week in some capacity, um, putting in competitive performances against big teams. So they look at this and they're saying everything's probably in our favour to go and put in a good result here. And that's what you expect. Whereas Leash, on the other hand, they've, they've kind of been, you know, very good against Watford, stop, start, a bit hit and miss, again, new management team, etc. Decimated by injuries last year. So they're kind of just trying to get the the train going I suppose and if again if they if they do manage to go up there and come down with a victory that's that's a season starter that's a kickstarter for, for a positive season so that's a huge result for them um, <clears throat> regardless of where, the, where they're at let's say nationally that's a huge result for them and that, that has the power That this type of result if they can go up to Antrim into a difficult venue turn them over when there's such, so much on the line that's a kickstarter and you wouldn't know yeah. where they want to go then after that but they're probably looking at this fixture as you said at the start of the year and go this is the one that we have to we have to iron out and have to have to take care of business here so it's a very very tough ask for Leash but I'm I'm given to Antrim by five yeah really important game arguably game of the weekend because of the consequences on it Corrigan Park 1pm on Sunday that's going to be Antrim against Leash with the losers almost certainly consigned to play in the relegation playoff in Division 1 of the Hurling League that's all off for the pod this week we'll be back next Monday from 6pm on the OTBGA and the Hurling Pod feeds if you're a subscriber on the Hurling Pod feed bit of a bonus coming for you middle of the week we'll have an extra episode on Wednesday morning where Scahill and Murphy are going to have a look at all all of your questions that have been coming in across the YouTube, the DMs and the Instagram stories over the weekend. Not a ball poked and yet we still need an extra episode this week. So that'll drop at around 9am on Wednesday morning. So keep an eye out for that. Best place to get the pod always on the Hurling Pod feed wherever you pick your podcasts up.